This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Equity Minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. If you are joining us for the very first time, welcome and thank you for becoming an Equity Mate. If you're still getting up to speed with the basics, check out our Get Started Investing podcast. But let's crack on. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this interview. We have, uh, there's a saying in in financial markets where uh, the bond market leads, the stock market follows. And uh, we have one of the best uh, bond investors, fixed income investors in the world joining us today to give us a sense check of where the bond market is and where the stock market might be going. That's right. It is our absolute pleasure to welcome to the Equity Mate studio, Bob Michael. Bob, welcome. Hey guys, I'm glad to be here. I love the intro. You're right. Bonds are at the top of the capital structure. They need <laughs> always. <laughs> so Bob is the Chief Investment Officer and Head of the Global Fixed Income Currency and Commodities Group at JP Morgan Asset Management. And a big thank you to JP Morgan Asset Management for supporting this episode. And Ren, as we said at the top, today we're going to be exploring fixed income, a topic that we haven't spoken much about. And we're going to try and answer the question, is the bond market back? <laughs> But Bob, before we jump into the the meat of the episode, we're, we're going to be talking a lot about bonds today. So to contextualize this conversation and for investors who have just joined us, what is the bond market? So you, you guys are really smart not to have talked about bonds for a long time because you're right, <laughs> it didn't make sense. It's the repricing that, that really happens. You have to think about a bond as a loan. You think that you're taking out a mortgage, you go to your bank, they give you a loan, and then they expect you to pay it back with some interest. We're in that market. What we're doing is we're taking client money. You may have money that you want to invest in bonds. You give it to us. We look for borrowers. We look for governments. We look for corporations. And we lend them your money and we set terms with them. We want a reasonable rate of interest. For example, today, if you gave us your money and we like 10-year Australian government bonds, we're getting just below 4% on that. We give them your money. They start paying us 4% a year until we take your money back. And uh, a lot of new investors don't realize this, but the global bond market is actually bigger than the global stock market just doesn't get as much airtime in in the financial press. It, it's big and it's growing. And if you think about it, if, if you own a business and you're looking to get additional financing, if you go to the bond market, you borrow money for a set, certain number of years, whatever you like. 
but then you pay it back with some interest and hopefully your business has grown. It's just the cost of borrowing that money for a short period of time. If you give somebody equity in your company, then it's gone, right? Then, then you now have somebody else who owns shares of your company you may never get back. So a lot of businesses, a lot of households, a lot of governments prefer to get financing through the bond market so they don't have to give up any ownership of their franchise. Mm. Now, Bob, 2022 was a bit of a disaster for bond markets. And uh, let's start with uh, what Thank happened you last for year. Bringing that up. It was <laughs> so I guess give us, the, uh, give us the overview of what happened last year and then let's move to what you're saying in 2023. Is it going to be more of the same or will it be different? In the measured history of the bond market, there's never been a year as bad as last year. And most bond markets, and it's going to vary, but they were down about 15%. So I think the best bond markets were only down about 10, and the ones that were the most challenged were down over 20%. The problem is that we came into 2022 with interest rates very, very, very low. In, in a lot of parts of the world, they were about zero. Look, we got there because we had to. We had a pandemic which could have killed a lot of us. There was an emergency response by governments to, first of all, put a lot of fiscal stimulus, supply money and aid packages into the system, and then central banks lowered the cost of funding that recovery so that it was affordable and they brought interest rates down. Now, happily, we're emerging through the other side of the pandemic. It's time for the central banks to begin normalizing interest rates. And they started about 12 months ago and they've been hiking rates ever since. Of course, as interest rates go up, the existing interest rate in the bond market looks too low. So bond prices have to fall to accommodate that. That's simply what happened. But after a year, we're thinking, we think we're coming towards the end of that. And so what, what's the general outlook for, for 2023? Well, the general outlook for 2023 is the central banks are telling us inflation is still sticky. It's still a bit of a problem. A lot of the money from the fiscal aid, from the government expenditures that helped get us through COVID are still sloshing around in the system. They want to make sure they're thorough in starting to pull that out so that inflation doesn't become a lasting problem. One way to do it is to keep raising interest rates so that the cost of financing anything goes up to a point that you have to think twice about it. And I know in this market, uh, when people buy a home, sure, a couple years ago, they got a very low interest rate every two or three years it's gonna roll over their mortgage and it's going to go to a higher interest rate. And because of that, it's going to make everyone rethink about what else they spend money on. Once people pull back their spending in economic terms, consume less, then that starts to bring inflation down because there's nowhere for higher prices to go. When you listen to the Reserve Bank of Australia, the Federal Reserve in the US, European Central Bank, they're all saying the same thing. We've done a lot, there's a bit more to go, but we're getting towards the end of that cycle. So I think blue skies are ahead. Yeah, we are. We have a macroeconomics podcast, Comedian vs. Economist, in uh, the Equity Mates uh, network here, and they were speaking about the wage data that came out in Australia, uh, I think this week or last week, and they were talking 
uh, about how it was really positive for the inflation story, not super positive for workers, but we're not really seeing uh, evidence of like a wage price spiral. And that's a good sign that perhaps inflationary pressures aren't as bad as uh, people thought. I say that and I'm touching wood as I say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, the old that you're talking about wage pressure. On one hand, all of us would like our wages to go up. On the other <laughs> hand, if everyone else's goes up, then the price of everything goes up. Um, you know, the classic definition of recession, when your neighbor's laid off, it's a recession. When you're laid off, it's a depression. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I like that. So, Bob, we're talking about a a market that globally is, I I, I assume, over $100 trillion, the the global bond market. And you mentioned um, that there are a number of different segments in the bond market. I guess, uh, you know, the government bonds, uh, corporate bonds. You often hear about junk bonds. Um, are we here? Are we seeing these different segments of the market respond differently to the rising rate environment? So we don't call them junk bonds anymore. <laughs> After Michael Milliken was in prison, and that got cleaned out, we now call them high yield or below investment grade bonds. Okay, good, good clarification. <laughs> so they're they're all repricing, and they all have to reprice. Because when you look at where central banks have moved interest rates, and we think by the time they're done, the Reserve Bank of Australia will have raised rates about 400 basis points, 4% to 4.1%. The Federal Reserve will have raised rates from 0 to 5%. That's a lot of repricing that has to happen across the bond market. And then you start thinking of some of those borrowers that are not governments. A lot of the corporations that you talk about, whether they're investment grade companies or below investment grade companies, or some of the mortgage providers out there that securitize their mortgage loans in the US and then go to the market. Those have gone up in yield a little bit more because in a higher rate environment, the probability of recession grows and you want a little extra yield to cushion yourself from any potential defaults in borrowers outside of governments. It's a very small risk, uh, but in the bond market, we just like to build that in. Are there any parts of the market that are kind of concerning you or that you're, that you're worried about or steering clear of at the moment? Yeah, the, the, there are a couple of areas. Uh, one is in the below investment grade area, the high yield area. Um, when we look at that market, yes, in a lot of places in the US, it yields 9%. Not too long ago, it it yielded just about 5%. So the yield has gone up a lot. But our work shows that the bottom in that market or the highest yields that you can buy in the high yield market occur during recession. And, And we believe that the central banks, unfortunately, only have one solution to high inflation, and that's to raise rates high enough so that the economy goes into recession, washes out a lot of the the unsustainable excesses that have built up over the last couple of years. They're pretty much telling us that they don't, sure, they'd like to engineer a soft landing. It's too hard this time because of all the money thrown in the system. But if we wind up in recession, then the yield on those bonds should go from about 9% to something like 12%. 
I'd rather be patient and wait and then go in at that point in time. Are there any parts of the bond market that are getting uh, you and JP Morgan excited or just the market as a as the bond market as a whole? Like where are, where are funds flowing uh, at, the, at the moment? I started out by throwing you guys sort of a backhanded compliment that you weren't um, and and I can see you too. I'm sure you get a lot of backhanded compliments. You can't <laughs> fool me on that. But you're smart not to talk about the bond market for the last couple of years because it was so manipulated by the central banks. It was always expensive. Now, clearly in Australia this week, I've come from New York. I've traveled across the U.S. through the Asia Pacific region to Europe uh, to visit clients. And I'm seeing a lot of clients in the wealth management platforms, a lot of the individual investors who tune in for these uh, podcasts um, and a lot of institutions. And the one thing they're telling me is they haven't allocated to bonds in a long time, but they're looking to do it and they don't want to miss it. The interesting thing is in a long time, they don't mean the last couple of years. They mean going back to the financial crisis. So we looked at the global government bond market and we looked at the yield you can get in the global government bond market relative to inflation. We call that the real yield. Are you getting a yield above the level of inflation and how much? You're getting the highest real yield in government bonds since 2007. That's 16 years ago. That's a generational repricing in the bond market. And that's what's got investors interested in coming into this market. And when they sense that the central banks, whether it's the RBA or the Federal Reserve, are at the end of their hiking cycle, that money's going to come in in a big way. I think it's smart money. It's going to go into government bonds, but it's also going to go into investment grade corporate bonds where you can pick up another percent to a percent and a half above the yield of government bonds. You're right uh, on that point around it being a generational shift because I, I think about my investing journey. You know, I was I was in high school during the JFC and uh, started investing uh, while I was at uni and bonds never were really part of the conversation or part of my thought process. And, you know, you read older investing books uh, from some of the greats over the years and there's a lot of talk about uh, the 60-40 portfolio, 60% equities, 40% bonds. That was the sort of staple portfolio. But for people of the most recent generation, that's sort of seen as quite archaic. And, you know, you see financial media talk about the 60-40 portfolio being dead. But now that bonds are back, interest rates are rising, I guess the question is, uh, is the 60-40 portfolio back again? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. The answer is yes, it is. Um, and it's back in a big way. And you're right, there's a lot of confusion in the marketplace and maybe we can unravel some of that. I think we also have to remember over the last couple of years coming into 2022, call it 2020, 2021, once central banks brought rates down to zero and kept them there and the bond market was too expensive, the term I heard a lot was TINA, T-I-N-A, there is no alternative. Mm-hmm. And people were saying, go into the equity market because the yield, the dividend yield on stocks is higher than bonds. Mm. That's now completely repriced. You could put money into a general bond fund and if it's domestic, 
um, in Australia, get a yield of about three and a half percent. If it's global, you're looking at a yield of closer to 6%, and it's all investment grade. Now, that's real competition. Mm. You can leave money in a money market account, and you're probably going to get you know close to 4% over the next couple of months. That makes a tremendous amount of sense to me. What's confusing people is they thought 60-40 protects them in all environments, mm. that in periods of time when equities drop, bond prices go up, so you're compensated. Well, that didn't happen last year. So that's that's really confused people because they expected, well, when equities go up, then my bond prices will drop. I can live with that as long as it goes the other way. And, and that's called correlation. They expect the bond and equity market to be correlated where, as I said, equities go down, bond price go up. They are, but it depends on what central banks do and we haven't had central banks move interest rates in a long period of time. So here's a simple way to think about it. Yes, what should happen is equity and bond prices should move opposite to each other, but only when central banks aren't changing interest rates. That's normal. When central banks are raising interest rates, they're raising the discount rate applied to every asset class and asset class prices have to drop. That's capital asset pricing model theory. So what have the central banks done? They've raised rates at the most aggressive pace since 1980, and you're seeing exactly what the textbook tells you, all asset prices should drop. That's the correct correlation rising rates. Now we're getting to the end of this. And we think we're gonna be in recession over year end, and then you should expect around that time central banks to start cutting rates. And what should happen when central banks cut rates? Well, the discount rate applied to all asset classes should drop or their value should go up. So long story short, 60-40 makes sense. Be aware of the correlations. Just understand you have to know whether central banks are hiking rates, cutting rates, or leaving them unchanged. The markets behave exactly as they should. We've been through the worst. There's probably a little volatility ahead, but the trend is upward. And then, as I said, it's a lot of blue sky ahead for 60-40. Can't complain with a 6% yield, I that's know. for sure. <laughs> it's, it is just, it sounds so foreign for the last 10 years that we've been investing. I know, yeah. I know. Although my portfolio certainly doesn't uh, reflect a 60-40, Bob, that's for sure. <laughs> hey, when I started in the business in the U.S., you could put money on deposit with banks and get 26%. What? <laughs> oh my and, and by the way we didn't think that was high enough oh my yeah goodness. yeah yeah look we probably don't want to uh pray to go back to those days because uh that will mean that no, inflation no, is no. yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> well let's turn to uh unpacking the central banks a little bit more because you've said uh a couple of times there that there's been some pretty aggressive rate moves by both the, the federal reserve and the rba here in australia uh, expectations this year that uh, there's a few more at least to come. Um, do you think that they've gone too far? Have they got it bang on? And, and what happens realistically if the Fed does actually continue and have to go higher than they've, they've sort of advised the market? As I had said earlier, I think we just have to accept we had a pandemic. The policy response was what it had to be. Hmm. You throw as much at it as you could on the fiscal side and the monetary side. It worked we survived 
And now it's time to take all that stimulus out of the system. And if you go back 18 months, we knew when that day come, it would be painful. Now, we can debate, did the central banks leave the liquidity in there too long? Well, yeah, because look how high inflation has gotten. It's By most minute measure, it's a minimum of 5%. A lot of measures, close to 10%. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The only way to bring that down is to drain liquidity from the system through quantitative tightening, which they're doing, they're running down their balance sheets, they're destroying money and raising rates so that it discourages you from financing new purchases. And that's starting to bite hard. Um, So I stepped back and I said, and I think I knew we would be at this point in time. I don't wanna stand in front of it and fight it. I wanna let the central bank tightening, inflation wash through the market, get to the end of it, see where the market is and then start to invest. And I think we're getting to the end of it. Does it matter if the Fed pauses at 5% or has to go to 6%? Maybe a little bit, but the bond market's already pricing in a 5.5% Fed funds rate. So if they pause at 5%, 110% of the rate hikes are priced in. If they have to go to 6%, 90% of the rate hikes are priced in. That's a pretty good spot to start putting money into the bond market. And the same thing with the RBA. The market's expecting 4.1%. I don't know if they have to go, uh, you know, to something like 4.6% because China reopening is creating more stimulus um, within the Australian economy. But even then, uh, 90% of the pricing has washed its way through. I think last year we could have pointed a finger at the central banks. I think this year we have to say they're doing their jobs. Cleaning inflation out of the system will be long-term healthier for the economy and for us as investors. We're coming through to the end of it. So start thinking about where you deploy capital. So, Bob, there's a cottage industry of financial experts that go on to, um, you know, financial media and make predictions about uh, where interest rates are going to end up. And they've been doing a roaring trade in 2023 because everyone's wondering what their mortgage rate will be and the like. You mentioned there... uh, you, you can see what the bond market is pricing in. For people whose ears picked up at that and were wondering how they could uh, not listen to the talking heads on TV, but rather look at what the bond market is telling us, uh, how do you actually see what the bond market is pricing in? Yeah, there are things called futures market. And a futures market is effectively placing a bet on something. And if you think about You know, if you buy a physical bond or a physical stock, you basically take in cash and bought the valuation today. Futures is like betting on the outcome of a match. You could win or you could lose. And you see 
where is all the money gone? Have two thirds of the betters expected a win or a loss? And we do the same thing in the bond market. You could look at the Fed fund futures market and see where are people expecting the Fed funds rate to go? They're putting a lot of money on it. Right now, that's five and a half percent. And a year ago, frankly, it was about 2%. So the bet, the smart money lost a lot of money because it blew right through 2% and, and went through five. Um, so those are the kinds of things we look at. I'm sure if you can, if you Google it, uh, Fed Funds Futures Market, um, you'll come up with, you know, a nice chart. <laughs> nice chart. No. Speaking of futures, Bob, uh, let's move to sort of beyond 2023-24. What, what is your view on the longer term outlook for, for rates over the next two, three years? So what, one of the things that I, I look at is the composition of our fixed income platform. And we manage over $700 billion. Uh, <clears throat> we have a lot of smart people there. I look at the 37-year-old, and I know this is going to cut close to home, <laughs> but the 37-year-old is super bright. They have families. They have homes. They have a mortgage. A lot of them are managing directors and run big businesses for us. But the only world they know is the world when they exited uni in 2008, mm. and that's the post-financial crisis world. So they think yields belong at 2%, that zero is legitimate. And the reality is that's a result of the great financial crisis and, and the, the last hurrah of the baby boomers who overbuilt the property market, then crashed it and then wiped it out. <laughs> I, I think what your uh, listeners have to understand is the last 15 to 20 years weren't normal. We're going back to what I'll call the old normal, where there is a healthy economy, there is competition for capital, there's going to be a cost for capital. So yeah, you may not be able to get a mortgage at the rates you got a couple of years ago, but you'll be able to invest in the fixed income market in higher yields than you've ever seen. And companies will continue to pay higher dividends than they did in the past. So I think we're getting to an environment where a realistic Fed funds rate is about 4%. The Reserve Bank of Australia realistic rate is probably in that three to 4% area. We're not gonna go back uh, to 0% unless in an extreme emergency. And because we've now shot past those levels, because we're trying to remove an incredible amount of stimulus, there has been a painful adjustment in the market so we're actually coming from above those yields down to it. That's a nice tailwind for bond prices and bond returns. So as I said, maybe there's a little volatility over the next quarter or so when the central banks get to the end of the tightening cycle. But as I look out over the next two to three years, I'm looking at what I think will be double digit returns in some bond funds. Wow. So wow. as 37 year olds, not that we are, we're getting close-ish <laughs> to it. We should be thinking a little bit more about getting bonds into the portfolio. <laughs> I, I just passed my 37th birthday. <laughs> nice. So. <laughs> so Bob, I guess if rates normalize at, a, I guess, a bit more of a long-term average of around 
three or four percent, and the thirty-seven-year-old is. I was about to say in for a rude awakening, but I actually think it's the opposite. I think it's like our world's open and there's a whole other asset class that we can uh, invest in and we're given given more choice. And hopefully it also means that savings accounts rise from that 0.01% interest they were paying. <laughs> I started this episode saying uh, where the bond market leads, stock markets follow. And I guess if rates are uh, normalize around that long-term average of three or four percent if bonds if there's competition for capital and if bonds can give investors a meaningful return going forward what is what are the flow-on effects to the stock market do you think i think unfortunately for the equity market it all comes down to whether the central banks can engineer a soft landing or whether we wind up in recession and if you look at the greatest inflation shock since 1980, the the greatest interest rate hike since 1980, and consequently the greatest rate shock passing through the system since 1980, it seems very aspirational to hope for a soft landing. I, I think you have to prepare for recession, which we believe is necessary to wash out some of the excesses in the system. Um, so it's gonna happen much like the high yield bond market which bottoms during recession we see the same thing in equity markets they bottom during recession so if investors can maintain their discipline and some patience and wait until we get into recession then you're buying at a generational low in relative value for equity so that's what i'm doing in my personal account um um, i'm buying uh, bonds in here, um, and I'm going to be patient and look at equities at a, as a back end of 2023 trade. For those that are listening at home thinking about what, where they can put money in the bond market, if you had to pick an investment, what would you be picking right now? Yeah. So, and I'm just going to tell you where I'm putting my own money. We run an income fund, JP Morgan Income Fund. It's looked at to uh, across the global bond markets. Uh, for the best value, and we're trying to optimize yield. So where it makes sense to buy government bonds, we'll buy them. Where we're getting paid to own corporate bonds, we'll hold them. Where we feel that it does make sense to own some high yield below investment grade bonds, we'll buy them. We've got a yield on that fund of over 6%. Um, I think it's pretty conservative. Uh, priced and and I think it's conservatively invested. When I look out over the next couple of years, that's the kind of fund I'm expecting to generate double digit returns. Well, Bob, um, that does bring us to the end of the uh, interview and the episode today. We've uh, thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you. As we said at the top, it's a, a, a an asset class that we haven't really had, not the opportunity, but the the need to talk a lot about. So I'm um, glad we could get someone with such expertise uh, in the studio with us. It was great. We do finish with one more question though. And uh, every year Equity Mates holds the Equity Mates Awards, which is where we celebrate products, platforms, and people that are really making markets accessible for us and our community. And as an expert, you are now in the running for the highly coveted trophy, Expert of the Year, that is voted for by our community. To help them uh, pick our expert of the year, if you were to win it, where would you put the trophy? 
<laughs> I, I would put it in a place of honor out on our trading floor in New York. Great. <laughs> wow. Epic. The uh, JP Morgan New York trading floor, that is somewhere that we need to be. That's very, very enticing. <laughs> hey, you, you guys have been awesome. Thanks for having me on. Uh, hopefully I've earned the chance to come back sometime. Absolutely. And thank you to JP Morgan Asset Management for supporting this episode. And if, if you'd like more information or are interested in um, finding finding out more about what uh, the fund was that uh, Bob was talking about there, it was the JP Morgan Income Fund. Uh, but Bob, absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Hope to catch up soon. Great. Thanks, guys. Good luck in the markets to all your listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Bob. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.